0: Welcome to season two of Keeping Up with the Constitution, a podcast hosted by the University of Malaya Consti team, bringing you a simple dissection of the Malaysian constitution. My name is Shamin Lionel, and I am thrilled to host the very first episode of the new season. For today, I have with me the UM Consti team family, and we will be talking about the constitution and its significance. Be sure to stay tuned to learn more. To kickstart the episode, let us dive into the definition. Warren, could you share with us what exactly is the meaning of this term constitution?
1: Constitution. The constitution is a body of fundamental principles or established precedents according to which a state or an organization is acknowledged to be governed. The term constitution itself refers to the basic principles and laws of a nation state or social group that determines the power and duties of the government and guarantees certain rights to the people in it. For instance, the constitution provides for our our fundamental rights such as freedom of speech and freedom of religion.
0: So how did the Malaysian constitution come about? Perhaps Patrick could give us a bit of background on the drafting process of the Malaysian constitution?
2: Sure Charmaine, and thank you for the question. The history behind the creation of the Federal Constitution as we know it today, can be divided into two phases. First, which is the Malayan Union era from 1946 to 1947. Secondly, the post-establishment of the Federation of Malaya era from 1948 to 1956. So in 1946, the British had decided to form the Malayan Union to replace the rule introduced by the British Army. This caused quite a stir among the people because this form of administration system would disregard the position of the Malays and the Malay rulers. Naturally, the people felt the need to fight for the independence of Malaya and to ensure that their special positions are maintained. And due to all this dissatisfaction, the very first Malay Congress was held on March 11th, 1946, where 41 Malay organizations rendezvous and unite over one common goal, which is to abolish the Malay Union. At the time, although Congress did not have any specific plans on the state's administration, they were very clear on one purpose, which is to safeguard the the sovereignty of the Malay rulers and the rights of the Malays as the sons of the soil. The outcome of this Congress is that UMNO was successfully established. UMNO played a crucial role in the formation of the Federation of Malaya in 1948, and we cannot deny that. Once UMNO was formed, everything was set in motion. On June 2nd, 1946, Malcolm MacDonald and Sir Edward Gent informed the Conference of Rulers that the British government agreed to consider the recommendations of the kings and an was to draft a new constitution for Malaya. Hence, a committee comprising Datto On Jaffa and 11 other committee members were entrusted to draft a new constitution that would, re- that would replace the Malayan Union constitution drafted previously. The election is also a fundamental feature of the constitution, as it introduces the parliamentary system adopted by the country. The British agreed to hold the municipal council election in 1951 and Kuala Lumpur in 1952 after the Malay leaders had persistently pressured them to do so. Subsequently, Dukar Abdul Rahman negotiated for a general election which was finally held in July 1955 the elections elected members of the Federal Legislative Council. The Independent Talks, or named as London Constitutional Conference, was a landmark event in the making of the independent Tanah Melayu. Historically speaking, upon completion and the victory of the electoral process, Nuku Abdul Rahman was appointed as the Chief Minister of the Federation of Malaya. The election results gave a clear mandate for the Malayan people to continue to urge for independence to Malaya, and for Tanah Melayu to have its own constitution. The London Constitutional Conference established a constitutional commission consisting of academics and professionals. And that concludes the background of how the Malaysian constitution was drafted.
0: Thanks, Frederick, for that. It seems that the drafting went through a very long process. And also, looking at the diversity of the Great Commission, Jason, can you enlighten us on how long did it actually take for the constitution to be drafted?
1: Great question. Thank you, Charmaine. So, as we heard just now, Frederick mentioned how the Constitutional Commission was established, and I would like to continue on that the Commission was a pretty diverse group of people gathered together to draft our new constitution. Lord Reid, the Commission Chairman, was a politician, judge, and the Solicitor General of Scotland. Sir William McHale was the former Governor General of Australia. Justice B. Malik was a former Chief Justice of the Allahabad High Court in India. Justice Abdul Hamid was a Pakistan High Court judge. And finally, Sir Ivar Jennings was a former Queen's Counsel and Cambridge University Vice-Chancellor. They were chosen instead of representatives hailing from Malaya because the alliance proposed an independent commission to review the existing constitution, the 1948 Federation of Malaya Agreement and that they preferred a non-Malayan commission as it is deemed to be more in a more impartial position. Despite coming from different countries, the five men had one thing in common. Their legal training and experience were in Commonwealth parliamentary traditions and constitution, derived largely from English constitutionalism. Likewise, even with such a diverse commission, they still managed to complete the new draft for the Commission in a reasonably short time of 15 months. The Commission started work in Malaya back in June 1956 and completed its first report in December 1956. At the time, the Constitutional Commission received 131 memoranda submitted by political parties, organisations and the public. Then, in February 1957, the Commission announced the first draft of the Constitution, and after extensive discussions with the Working Committee, the second draft was subsequently presented and passed through the British Council. Shortly after, it was brought back to Tanah Melayu and finally approved by the Federal Legislative Council on August 27, 1957. So in short, even with such a diverse Commission, they only took around 15 months to finish the drafting of our Constitution.
0: Coming from that, we often hear the phrase, the constitution is supreme. Even our tagline is, the constitution is supreme and the parliament is not. So Ryan, what does it actually mean?
3: Article 4, clause 1 of the federal constitution speaks for itself that the federal constitution is the supreme law of the federation. Therefore, any law passed after medegade, which is inconsistent with the constitution, show to the extent of the inconsistency before it it does not recognize as valid any law passed by the parliament after medicare that is inconsistent with the constitution hence the parliament is not supreme in the sense that it can pass any law it wants there are also other provisions that show that the parliament is not supreme but the constitution state assemblies are likewise not supreme They must observe limits on their substantive powers, which are enumerated in the Schedule 9 List 2 and 3. They must not violate the federal constitution or their own state constitution. Our country, Malaysia, similar to countries like Singapore and the United States of America, has a written constitution, which means the constitution is codified. The single document of the constitution is the foundation of the nation that lays out how the state is organized, the government carried on, and justice administered. Another reason or rationale for the supremacy of the constitution is that Malaysia has a written constitution. Countries with an unwritten constitution practice parliamentary sovereignty, whereby the law passed by the parliament is the supreme law. The constitution also should be supreme because it creates the three organs of government, the executive, legislative, and judiciary. The constitution defines their powers. Being the supreme law of the country, the constitution provides guidelines in all matters.
0: Since the constitution is the highest law of the land as mentioned by Ryan, Camilla, can it actually be amended?
4: Yes, of course. The changing of times require the Constitution to change along with it, so as to not render it irrelevant, or worse, be a hindrance to progress. With that in mind, constitutional amendments are allowed and provided for under Article 159 of the Federal Constitution. The Judiciary in Kui Chun and Government of Malaysia has recognized that amendments to the Constitution are needed to ensure its continued pertinence in current times. Each clause under the provision lays down the method a particular subject matter may be amended, the most common of which being an amendment bill that is supported by not less than two-thirds of the total number of members of each Dewan on its second and third readings. Certain provisions are further safeguarded and thus require more than a two-thirds majority to be modified. Therefore, the consent of the Majlis Raja Raja, or otherwise known as the Conference of Rulers, is also a prerequisite in addition to a two-thirds majority to amend issues that are usually deemed sensitive, such as the privileges of the Malays and the natives of Sabah and Sarawak. In the same token, Special safeguards for Sabah and Sarawak are enshrined under Article 161E, which provides that both a two-thirds majority and the consent of the di-Pertuan degree of the states is required in matters concerning those states. Nevertheless, certain provisions in the constitution can be amended through a less rigid process, namely an ordinary bill requiring the support of a simple majority of the members in each Dewan. Matters which fall under this method of the amendment include those that restrict freedom of movement, freedom of speech, assembly, and association. So this is the simplified summary of how the constitution can be amended. Thanks, Camilia.
0: Perhaps Nesha, could you share with us on why is it so important for Malaysians to understand the concept
5: and what is in the constitution? Yes. A large number of the rakyat are unaware of the significance of our constitution and the vital role it plays in our daily lives. For instance, our fundamental liberties are guaranteed by the constitution as set out from articles 5 to 13. This includes freedom of speech, right to education, prohibition of slavery and equality, just to name a few. If the rakyat are armed with profound constitutional knowledge and understand the roles of the legislative, executive and judicial branches. Along with the court decisions that help interpret those roles, we can improve the quality of political discourse and protect ourselves against the manipulation of demagogues in politics and even the news. Thus, we need to forge ahead towards a constitutionally aware society, especially in the current times, where constitutional knowledge holds a transformative power that allows the Rakyat to understand how they fit into the world around them and the role civic responsibility plays in the Malaysian society.
0: As pointed out earlier by Nisha, one of its important is that it protects our basic human rights. How exactly does it do that, Ashley?
6: Thank you for posing the question, Charmaine. So at the outset, I must bring up a personal observation that many are actually not aware that our basic human rights are indeed safeguarded by the Constitution, especially those with no legal background. But the truth is that this one monumental document covers a laundry list of our basic rights. And this is depicted in part two of the federal constitution from articles five to 13. For instance, it provides for our freedom of speech, freedom of assembly and movement, freedom of religion and political freedoms. So in this segment of the episode, I will mainly focus on two basic rights, the freedom of speech and the freedom of assembly. In relation to the freedom of speech, it is expressly laid down in Article 10, Clause 1, Paragraph A of the Federal Constitution that every citizen is entitled to the right to freedom of speech. Even legal entities such as companies and corporations established under Malaysian law are protected under this provision. However, it doesn't extend to foreigners residing in the country. Nevertheless, citizens such as you and I are entitled to this basic right. Next, transitioning to the second right, I will briefly touch on the freedom of assembly. This is provided under Article 10, Clause 1, Paragraph B of the Federal Constitution. And it states that all citizens have the right to assemble peaceably and without arms. So it's notable that this right does have its parameters. This is because the parliament is empowered to impose restrictions on two bases. First, national security, and second, public order. And in status quo, there are actually a number of legislations that had already been enacted based on the two premises mentioned. For instance, we have the Peaceful Assembly Act 2012. The government at the time expressed that this legislation was enacted in the interests of public order and security. In fact, there are other legislations and statutes that are relevant to our freedom of assembly. But due to time constraints, I'm unable to go into the details of each statute. Nevertheless, UMCT has created infographics on this subject matter. So feel free to read the materials we have on the freedom of assembly on our Instagram.
0: Right, a quick promotion by Ashley on our Instagram. So- do check out our infographics. So now that we all know these fundamental rights are provided under the constitution, how does the incorporation of these rights into the constitution actually aid in safeguarding our basic rights?
5: Perhaps Nisha can fill this question for us. Sure. Actually, this is where Ryan's part earlier ties in with the answer to this question. Due to the fact that the constitution is supreme, and because it is the supreme law of the land, there are no legislations that can oppose the provisions stated in it. Nothing can override the principles enshrined in the Constitution. This is how our rights are safeguarded. And this is why we need to ensure that each and every one of us uphold the principles provided in the Constitution. Hence, to ensure that the Rakyat are well aware of their rights and liberties, the UM Constitution consistently creates educational content which we share on our social media platforms. We do this with the sole purpose and intention of improving constitutional literacy amongst the Rakyat.
0: Another promotion of our Instagram by our wise Direction. Oh my God, Wait, wait, I'm going to record it. Another mention by Nisha on our Instagram. So please do check it out. Abby, as mentioned earlier in the discussion, in Malaysia, the constitution sets up three main constitutional institutions, which are the legislative, executive, and judicial branches. So, are they all mutually exclusive or
7: interdependent? Modern democracies commonly adopt the principle of separation of powers in their government through a constitution. Similarly, in Malaysia, the three constitutional institutions, legislative, and executive and judiciary were established pursuant to the principle to ensure check and balance is in place. This is actually provided for under part 4 and 9 of the federal constitution. Thus, ideally the three branches should be mutually exclusive. But the reality here is that the separation of power is not absolute in Malaysia. In fact, There is a fusion of functions between the legislative and executive branches akin to Westminster than that of Washington. This can be further broken down into three main parts. One, while Article 39 of the Federal Constitution provides that Yang Di-Pertuan Agong is the rightful head of cabinet, but in practice, Yang Di-Pertuan Agong is only a constitutional monarch acting only on the advice of the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister, the actual Chief Executive, must come from the Dewan Rakyat as it is compulsory in a democratic country like Malaysia. Further, the Cabinet is appointed by the Prime Minister and usually drawn from members of the Parliament. There is no clear distinction between powers conferred to Legislature and Executive. 3. The Parliament comprises the Yang Di Patuan Agong as a symbolic role and two Majulis, namely Dewan Rakyat and Dewan Negara, also known as Senates, as defined under Article 44 of the Federal Constitution. Since the Agong must follow the advice of the Cabinet, the Senate effectively becomes the device of the Executive. Nonetheless, the Judicial Branch remains independent to date. This is provided for under Part 9 of the Federal Constitution that attempts to prevent control and influence from the Legislature and executive. Contempt of court is also contemplated in Article 126 of the Constitution, which provides that courts have the power to punish for contempt of any person who interferes with the administration of justice or challenges the integrity or independence of the courts. In short, all three branches of the constitutional institutions should be mutually exclusive in theory, but in practice, such separation is not absolute. And therefore, the branches are interdependent only to some extent. With that, we have reached the end of our episode.
0: Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed our simple dissection of the constitution and its significance. If you wish to learn more about the constitution, the UN Constitu has covered them in great detail in the first season of Keeping Up With The Constitution. To catch UM team's latest activities, do follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at UM team. Thank you, and do stick around for the next episode.